Please open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Uh, we'll be in verses 22 through the end of the chapter. <coughs> John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat, under the seat in front of you. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read 22 through 28. It says, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Lord, we come before you, and these are incredibly powerful and precious um, verses. And, and I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we look at, at this, Lord, that we would be able to discern, we'd be able to know without a doubt whether or not we are believers. And in that, knowing the absolute and 100% total security we have in you, Lord Jesus. And so we just praise these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 22, right off the bat, John is telling us that it is winter and it's during the Feast of Dedication, which is basically what we know as Hanukkah today. So we just kind of got past that season. But just a historical note, um, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, basically the celebration uh, was the Jews' victory over uh, the Syrian king Antiochus uh, Epiphanes. And uh, who he basically 170 years before Christ, so in between the Old and the New Testament, um, he had captured Jerusalem. And in capturing Jerusalem, he had sacrificed, he desecrated the temple basically by sacrificing a pig, an unclean animal, on the altar of God, then replaced the altar of God with a pagan altar, and then set up a statue of Zeus in the middle of that temple. On top of that, he began to persecute the Jews for their religion as he was trying to uh, Hellenize everything, make everything Greek, so to speak. And uh, as he did that, he eliminated the Sabbath. He made them sacrifice pagan sacrifices on that altar. And so it was just a horrific time uh, for the Jews. During that time, there eventually became a rebellion. And it was led by a, a priest named uh, Mattathias. Awesome name, Mattathias. Yeah, that's probably what I've been called back then. Anyways, uh, one, of his, one of his sons, it, it was he and his sons who led the rebellion, but one of his sons, uh, you might have heard his name, is Judas Maccabeus. He was the military leader, kind of uh, guerrilla warfare. And they led like basically a three-year rebellion that finally overthrew um, this, this vicious uh, kind of usurper there, and they finally won back Jerusalem, they cleansed the temple, and they dedicated it, putting everything back in its place on December 25th, uh, 164 BC. And so, although it was not an ordained feast given by God, this is what the Jews celebrate. They celebrate, hey, we got the temple back, everything's great, and they celebrate it for eight days, and the lighting of the candles commemorate all that. That's what's going on, and although this isn't a, a feast that's commemorated by God, all the Jews are gathered back in 
uh, to Jerusalem here during winter uh, to celebrate what had happened. And so John, just to let you know, as you're reading through the book of John, it gives you a bunch of time markers. That's how John is thinking. He lets you know, hey, this feast is going on, and this is what Jesus was doing. And he just kind of uses the feasts, all these different feasts, as you're going through, as time markers for us. And then he tells what Jesus did during these feasts. This is about three months after the chapter we just got out of. John 7 through 10, basically, is the Feast of Booths, and now uh, 7 through 9. And now here we are in, in chapter 10, which is this feast. And then what will happen is three months from this time that Jesus is speaking will be the Passover. It'll be Jesus' final Passover in Jerusalem while he's on earth. And he is going to be crucified in three months. So John is winding down. He's tightening uh, and you're going to see here in just a few chapters, it'll, the rest of John will be focused basically on the last uh, week of Jesus' ministry. And so Passover is going to be observed in three months. So John's counting down. So the, Jesus is at this feast, and, and, and uh, John tells us that Jesus is walking around this area called Sol- Solomon's Colonnade, and, and it would have been a covered area. It would have been a little bit warmer. And... John tells us in verse 24 that the Jews uh, surrounded Jesus. That's what that word means. It encircled him. They surrounded him. And so, and they said, hey, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the ones the prophets have been talking about, tell us plainly. And that word plainly doesn't mean like, hey, you know, we really want to know. It's tell us publicly so everybody can hear and we can take you and arrest you and kill you. That's what's going on. So these Jews are the religious leaders. Tell us plainly, verse 25, and Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not what? You do not believe. The true issue was not that Jesus did not given them enough evidence. What was the issue? The issue was that they did not believe. And isn't that so true today? I mean, all the excuses that you can make up to not believe in Jesus Christ after all the evidence that there is in Scripture of him and his work. And Jesus had told them over and over that he was the Son of God, but they did not believe. And they didn't have any excuses because Jesus was walking among them. And Jesus says, if you continue on, verse 25, says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. Again, every time Jesus is challenged about who he is and his authority, he links everything to his Father. And he says, listen, everything I'm doing is in my Father's name. It's in his authority. I'm, I'm linked to him. Everything I'm doing is, is, is uh, on his behalf. This is what Jesus keeps telling them. He, I and the Father are one. Any authority I have, it's been given to me by him. Whatever judgments I make, he's made. Whatever healings I do, whatever miracles I perform, whatever I do, any eternal life I give, any sins I forgive, they're all because it is the Father's will. And then he goes on to say, I and the Father are one. We're one in the same. Jesus, God in the flesh. He says, you don't have any excuses because of the very works you guys are seeing me do, Jesus would say. He's walking around doing amazing things. Matthew eleven five. Remember that? John the Baptist basically had wondered, hey, you know, he's in jail and for, he's getting persecuted. He looks back, and, and they've got messengers going back and forth between he and Jesus, and basically just says, hey, I'm in jail. I wasn't really planning on this. Is he really the Messiah? And Jesus comes back, and he says to him, 
this might be a Luke's account, but he says there, the, hey, go, go tell John this. The blind see, the lame are walking, the lepers are healed, and they're cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. He's, he, Jesus is just quoting Bible. He's all, this is what the prophets said the Messiah would be doing. All of those things. It's happening in your midst. These Jewish leaders knew that no one else was doing this stuff. It was the Messiah. It was him. They had no excuses, and yet they did not believe. That was the problem. The issue was not the evidence. It was clear. The issue was verse 26, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are what? Not among my sheep. The issue was unbelief. Jesus tells them that they don't believe because they were not among his sheep. Now, what does that mean? How come they were not among his sheep? What is the difference between being his sheep and not being one of his sheep? That's important. And again, Jesus is using the idea of a sheep as an analogy for something. You're not his. He's, he's, he's doing this picture. By the way, I'm not going to get into it, but the, last week we talked about I am the, I'm the good shepherd, right? The only way you get in is through me. If you try to come in some other way, you're a liar and a robber. So here he's just continuing that analogy. So what's the difference between one of his sheep and, and not being one of his sheep? This is really important. What does it say? You can see first from one, verse 26 is that sheep that are his believe, right? That is the key identifier of being a sheep of Jesus Christ, being one of his, is that you believe. Jesus says there in verse 26 to them, but you do not believe because you're not one of my sheep. And so we can, we see that the context is that sheep who are not Jesus's don't believe, sheep that are believe. Everybody got that so far? Awesome. Great. Don't need to repeat that. But we're going to like 700 times. So yeah, (laughs) Jesus is telling the Jews, you're non-believers these religious leaders, says, you do not believe. You're not one of my sheep. My sheep believe. Now, what does belief look like to Jesus? This is critical, church. What does it mean to believe? And by the way, a lot of questions, if, if you've seen in the email that's gone out, it says ask at ccf.org, that question, We appreciate all the questions being sent in about these types of things. People are asking these questions. What does this mean? How does that work? Discussions are happening in small groups, all that kind of good stuff. And so this is important. What does does belief look like according to Jesus? Look at verse 27. My sheep what? They hear my voice. And I know them, and they what? They follow me. Do you see how that's linked all together there? They hear and they follow. Jesus says, my sheep believe, and secondly, my sheep, what? They hear my voice. Now, what does that mean, they hear my voice? Is he talking about my sheep audibly hear my voice? Is that what's going on? You know, no, it's not. That is not what he's talking about. Again, the analogy of a sheep and a shepherd, when he'd call a sheep, the sheep would come to him, not to another shepherd, because there'd be that connection. I talked about how many of you have dogs last week, you know, and you you talk to your dog, and your dog comes to you. It doesn't come to your neighbor, necessarily, unless you have a bad dog. (laughs) 
And so what does it mean? Jesus is talking about you hear my voice. In other words, the first is the call of God to salvation. God is calling by his Holy Spirit. And those who are his sheep, and I don't understand how all that works, they hear his voice. They respond to that call of salvation, first of all. They respond. They come to him. Unlike the Jews he was just speaking to, Jesus' sheep are not spiritually deaf to God's call to them. They respond to God. The true sheep of Jesus Christ, the true believers, they respond to the call of God to repent and to believe upon Jesus Christ. Amen? That he is Lord and Savior. They hear his voice. Non-believers do not respond to the call of God. That is what separates them. And so belief according to Jesus is hearing the voice of God. And secondly, what? Verse 27. I'm going to come back to I know them. That's really important and we're going to center on that. What is the second thing a believer does? They follow. Those things are linked. If they're not my sheep, they're not following. Right? Does everybody kind of see that? So belief according to Jesus is hearing and secondly, following. That is the difference between a believer and a non-believer. A believer hears Jesus and they follow Jesus. This is the thrust of John 15, 1 through 8. John 15, in a few chapters, let me read it for you. He uses a different analogy. He says, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. See, I and the Father are, are one. He's, there's the relationship there. But every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he what? Takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that's not a taking away. That's a pruning. That it what? May bear more what? What is the purpose of the, vi- of the vine? It gives life to the branches. And what is the purpose of the branches? To produce fruit. If you're not producing fruit, what happens? Cut off. You're not a part of the vine. That's the picture. So Jesus is desiring that vines attached to him, they bear fruit. That is the natural function of, vines attached, uh, of branches attached to a vine. They bear fruit. Verse 4, and here Jesus kind of makes the connection. Abide in me. Well, he talks about verse 3, sorry. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen, disciples, you're already born again. But listen to me. This is important. Verse 4, he says, abide in me. This This is the analogy. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you, what? Abide in me. And so there's this tension in Scripture constantly. You're clean, but you better abide. Why? What's he talking about? And he's going to bring this all the way down, so you just got to follow the logic. He's abiding me. Why? Unless, well, he says there, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The purpose of a branch is to bear fruit, And that fruit's only going to happen if it abides in the vine. It can't do it by itself. Do you see how John 15 here takes the same idea of John 10, that a sheep, a true disciple, are those who are believers? What, What is a believer? One who hears and follows. They abide. Do you see that? Over and over and over, Jesus makes this analogy. 
They abide. They remain in him. They remain close to him. You see? Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Is he repeating himself? Why is he repeating himself? Because it's important. The proof that you're a sheep, the proof is that you hear and you follow. The proof of your belief is in hearing and following Jesus. And that following, that abiding in Christ, that, that produces fruit, right? The fruit is the proof that you're attached to Christ. Make sense? That you're truly his sheep. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and that branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. What do you think that's a picture of? Non-believers. They are detached from the life of Jesus Christ, and they are cast into hell. That's why he keeps repeating himself. This is serious. What is a real believer? What is a non-believer? The non-believer's end is hell. You see, the believer's life reveals the nature of that of which they are attached to. You will know a tree by its fruit, correct? Same with a non-believer. What's the end? The life of a believer produces life. His life. It reflects him. It shows what you're attached to. Um, We produce Christ-likeness. We produce him in our lives. Make sense? Those who are not attached to him don't produce that. They have death. And their end is withered and cast into outer darkness. And that is not what Jesus wants. And he wants it to be very clear for those who say that they're his disciples, that they know what a true disciple is and a false disciple. Let me keep pushing it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. You see, someone who is in Christ, what happens? What does abiding look like? His word is flowing in and out of us. My sheep hear my voice. They hear what he says. They're longing and hear the longing to know his will. They're longing to be attached to that life. And as that life flows in and out, we start asking according to his will, what is it that you want, God, through me? How can I serve you and love you and love and, 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 and then that that will, you see the Father's will, just as Jesus was doing the will of the Father, so we do the will of Christ, and that life flows out of us, you see? And what happens? There's that producing of fruit. You ask the Lord. You start asking, you see, what's the purpose of prayer? To get what you want? No. Thank you. <laughs> no. Does God care about you? Of course he does. Does he care about things? But ultimately, it's to ask that his will be done. Does that make sense? And as you know who he is, you start asking according to his will. Lord, I know this is your heart, and I want it to see it come about. May it come about in me, right? And we start praying. He says, I will do it for you. Keep on reading. Look what happens. You produce fruit. By this, my Father is glorified. Verse 8, that you do what? You bear much what? And what does that do? So that you're what? Ah, so what does the fruit prove? That you're a sheep. That you're connected. That you're his. 
Do not be mistaken that because you do all these things that you're saved. You don't get saved by the works. Got to be very careful. It proves that you're attached. Very, very, got to be very understanding of that. Otherwise, you have a works-based salvation. And so when, if you're sitting here going, man, I just need to do more works. No. Your work is to believe, to abide, to hear, and to obey Christ. You see, you follow him because you hear his voice, because you're attached to him, and then those things come out of your life. Do you see the difference? By this, my father is what? Glorified. He's glorified in true sheep. Why? Because they're attached to the vine and they produce the fruit that God has called them to. Right? You see, that it proves that you're his disciple, that you're one with the vine, that he's your shepherd, that you are a sheep. It proves that you truly believe. And then again, doing these things does not make you saved. It proves that you are. It proves, it reveals, it shows. And Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. He's talking about false prophets there, but you understand, right? And I need to spend some time on this because of these questions that have been coming in related to this. It needs clarity. Do you see Jesus' teaching that if a person does not abide, if they don't follow Jesus, what's what's the evidence? That they're not what? They're not sheep. According to Matt... No, forget about Matt. Read your Bible. Read what Jesus says about these things. That's what we've got to go to. We've got to eliminate all personal experience and all emotional experiences and all the stuff we go through. We've got to look at what he says and truly examine what he says because that is what matters. Ultimately, what does Jesus say about what a true disciple is, what true life is? And let me say, I know we're hunkering down on a hard situation here, but we're going to pull into the promise in just a minute, right? But if they're not a true sheep, they're, they're not a true disciple, they're not believing if, they don't, if they're not one who hears and who follows. That is what a believer is. When he was saved, the evidence of a believer is that they hear and they follow Jesus. A believer follows, a non-believer doesn't. The belief is proven by following. John tells us this. Flip to your, into your Bibles. Go to Revelation. Go back a couple verses to 1 John. It's the books there, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right before Revelation and Jude. 1st John chapter 2, verse 3. When I hear the pages slow down, I'll I'll start reading. What does he say there in 1 John 2, verse 3? Obviously, it's on the screen, but it's good for you to have in your Bible. Underline it. Star it. You need to know this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we what? If we keep his commandments. Wait, keeping his commandments saves you? Is that what he said? No. He said there's a fruit from that relationship. He says, and by this we know that we have come to to know him. If we keep his commandments. 
You follow Jesus. You hear his voice, his words in your heart. You long to do what he says, right? You're following him. You're obeying him, right? I love it. Your love for him is expressed through obedience. It it proves, it shows you know him. Verse 4, whoever says what? I know him, but does what? Not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And this is, not, this is repeated over and over in 1 John. He wants us to know the difference between a true believer and a non-believer. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. It's manifested. It happens, right? And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides, oh, there it is again. Whoever says he abides in him, how, do, how should that be? You say you abide in Christ. You say you're a follower of Jesus. You say, you say you're a sheep. You should what? Walk in the same way Jesus walked. We follow Jesus. Our lives should reflect him more and more. You see, true believers follow Jesus. True believers mimic Jesus. Now, does that mean believers do not sin? The answer is no, unfortunately. Flip back a little bit left. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9. What do we have here? If we say we have what? No sin. We what? Deceive ourselves. So what did you just find out about sheep? We got issues. And anyone who's a true sheep, they know they've got a Savior. They need a Savior True sheep know how dirty we've been, how, man, we're messed up. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See that again? Those who say they are without sin, I'm good, I'm pure, I'm perfect, I'm fine. We know who we are positionally in Christ, but in reality, walking in this day, man, there is dirty sheep. And this truth is not, the truth is not in us, but here we go, verse 9, what happens to those sheep? If we what? Where is our hope, church? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. I love that. Believers believe upon the Savior. That's what we do. He's not a crutch. He's life support. He is eternal life. He has everything our soul needs. Yes, believers stumble. Yes, believers stumble. You've got to know that. Look at King David. Horrible sin. What about the Apostle Peter? What happened to him? Did he stumble a little bit? Horribly. Denied Christ three times, all those things. Believers stumble. Right? That happens. But ultimately, what happens? follow his voice. And by the way, notice in those situations, who came to whom to get him out of the pit? The shepherd. The shepherd comes to the sheep and gets them out of the pit, and they hear and they follow. The Lord came to Nathan. Nathan came to David. The Lord restored Peter on the shore. Amen. That's our shepherd. You see, the danger for us is thinking because 
we prayed a prayer and there was an emotional experience that that equals salvation when there is no evidence of that. That we don't follow, we don't obey, we don't listen. You see what I'm saying? It's so important. And I hope you're not hearing, you're not saved because there, there wasn't a prayer prayed. I'm saying that, that Jesus says the evidence of true conversion is a life that follows Jesus Obviously not perfectly, right? That's important. And it's dangerous for th- to think that having faith without fruit is true faith. This was the very concern that James had. I'm hitting on this because it's really important. Look at James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter into your Bible. Verse 14. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Good question, James. He says, can faith save him? Can that, or you can say, I think the emphasis there is, can that kind of faith save him? A faith that is void of works, a faith that is void of fruit, proof? Is a person saved who says they believe, but there is no evidence based upon what they do and how they live? I'm not talking about me judging someone's soul. I'm just saying, look at what he says. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, this is an example, verse 15, right? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and they lack in daily food, And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without, what? Giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He's not talking about, you know, you just go go help people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a contradiction here. He's saying that if you truly believed that you wanted that person to be warm and to have peace and to be filled and stuff, you would do something about it, right? Your life would show it. There would be a, an evidence of your faith. You see, that's what he's saying. There's a problem there, isn't there? There's a real problem. Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have what? Works is what? It's dead. It's not real faith. You see, a person who says they are a believer and does not follow Jesus, there's no evidence, there's no fruit, not believing in Jesus. You've got to question that. I have to question that in my own life, right? We look in. We take the log out of our own eye first. This is what it's about, looking inward. I can't see into people's souls. Can you? I haven't leveled up yet. I, haven't, I don't have that gift. I can't see into your, I don't know the condition of, of your salvation. Does anybody know that right now? You have that insight? We're not judges in that way, right? We don't know if they're saved and neither can you. But going back to John 10, 27, Jesus says, I know them, right? That's, a, that's, a, that's sandwiched in between They hear my voice, I know them, and they follow. Jesus knows who his sheep are, right? He intimately knows who his sheep are, so he knows them. 
But here's again, here's another thing. He tells us over and over and over what true sheep are and what true sheep aren't. He tells us what to look for. Sheep hear. They follow Jesus. They abide in him. His word abides in them. They ask according to his will. God answers. They bear spiritual fruit. They walk in, the, in good works. Uh, they obey Jesus. I already said that. They follow his commands to, uh, to God, to love God and to love one another. They walk as Jesus walks. The identifiers go on and on and on and on and on, right? You see, these are kind of like the fruits that are out there. They have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, and I keep missing one all the time. You know what I'm saying, Right? So, if you know someone who says they're a believer, but there isn't any fruit, they have a life that consistently shows that they do not follow Jesus, that's a very situation, that's a serious situation, church. Don't live in denial of what is right in front of you, of what Jesus clearly says. What do you need to do? It could be that they're not saved. You don't know that, but it could be. All the evidence is pointing to the contrary. It could be that they're not saved. It could be that they are one of the first three soils in Matthew 13, which I believe is talking about salvation because it all connects to John 15 and Hebrews and other places. It could be that they are one of the first three soils that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13, the superficial believer who takes in the word in various situations, but there is no what? Fruit. Do you see that? They didn't take the word in with understanding through faith shown in the evidence producing fruit. And instead of trying to convince ourselves that they are saved, let's call it like is and start to do what? Start to intercede. Start to pray together. Start to go to the Lord, the one who can do something about it. Don't give false assurance where there doesn't need to be assurance. Go to the Lord in prayer and call out and cry out together as a church in love and say, Lord God, help, help, help. We don't see it. I'm not in judgment. Lord, it's just not there. And we want them to come to know you. We want there to be love and life in them. Please, Lord Jesus, give us wisdom in the circumstance. Amen? And if they say that they're in Christ, warn them because it doesn't match up. And that is the loving thing to do. As Jude says in his one chapter book at the end of the Bible, he says in verse 22 through 23, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's what the church is. We're not holier now. We just have a big savior because we know We've been saved through so much. So Jesus said to those Jews, you do not believe because you're not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. And that is what Jesus has been clarifying over and over and over through the gospel. Who are the true believers and the false believers? The difference is so important so that we aren't fooled. You know? Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter by the what? Narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy or broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are how many? Many. 
many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are what? Few. We need to make sure we don't mistake the wide gate, you know, the, the narrow gate for the wide gate. It is narrow. It is so incredibly narrow. He is the gate. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that we're all scared because we want to challenge those things. We want to know. We want to be asking those questions. We don't want to live in a false reality. Here's what you need to know. But for the one who hears his voice, the one who follows him, the one who's a believer, Jesus says in 28, verse 28, what? I give them eternal life and they will what? Never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Period. Not happening. You see, the true sheep and believer, they follow, but guess what? But it is Christ who knows them. It is Christ who gives them eternal life, and it is Christ in whom their eternal life is absolutely secure. Make sense? It cannot be taken away. You know, some of you wrote in and asked, can you lose your salvation? No. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. If you believe, you're, you can lose your salvation. You've got a problem because it's eternal life. Eternal kind of means it doesn't end. Just to kind of get the Greek version of that. <laughs> right? If he gives you eternal life, it cannot be taken away. Amen? I know, it's kind of like, whoa, well then what's all this about, Right? No, you can't because salvation is a work of God. It's not a work of man. You don't save yourselves. He saves you. Amen? It's his work. It's Jesus who knows his sheep. It's Jesus who gives us eternal life. It's him who holds us in his hands and no one can take us out. Total eternal security for the believer. But you'd better be sure you have Jesus' definition of what a believer is. Make sense? That's, that's, that's what we need to know. Faith is evidenced by fruit. If a person says they're a believer and yet they have a life that has no evidence, man, we've got to be careful about that. Don't give that assurance to those who don't. And that's important as a believer. Listen, some people need assurance of their salvation. They're getting beat up by the enemy. They're, they're, they're just living in lives that are just, man, it's like it's a struggle. The way is hard. And those brothers and sisters, man, they need to be brought the verses like this, amen, and reminded of the absolute truth. You need to read Ephesians 1 through the whole first chapter of Ephesians and 1 Peter chapter 1 and just remind them of God's total sovereign work in saving them, amen. But here's the tension. Those who aren't following, they don't need the verse of promise. They need the verses of warning. The law is for the lawless. And what is the law, what is that purpose of the law is to drive them to what? To the Savior, into the promise, into the thing, right? But make no mistake, believers, there's absolute assurance. Jesus knows his sheep and he holds them eternally secure. He gives eternal life. 
So if you're doubting your salvation, you know you believed in Jesus, you're struggling. Man, yes, get together, confess your sins with one another. Don't let that slide. Let the enemy have a foothold in your life. But I tell you what, remind yourself in the absolute promises of God. He's got you. And in just in case they didn't believe Jesus, by the way, the Jews listening, they're stunned because here Jesus is saying to them, I give eternal life. Just in case they were wondering if he's the Messiah or not. I give, I'm a little, yes. I give eternal life and what? No one can snatch them out of my hand. Here Jesus is standing before them telling them who he is. And just in case they didn't believe or didn't understand the connection, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all authority. There's structure in the Godhead, by the way, just as there is in your marriage, if you're married. Equal yet roles. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of what? My Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And how did the Jews respond to this glorious statement? They picked up rocks to stone him. So much here, really quickly in ending. First of all, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to stretch them out of my, scratch them out of my hands, right? To take them out of my hand. God has sheep in his hand and no one's greater than God. You can't do anything about it. Eternal security over and over again. Why is Jesus repeating this? Because it's important. <laughs> you need to know if you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you aren't getting out. He's got you. And one of these beautiful things, and Jesus just rolls back the curtain into the plan of the Father, the eternal plan of the Father. Look at this. Regarding his sheep, Jesus says, the Father has given the sheep to the Son. When did he do that? Before the foundations of the earth, apparently. The Father has given the sheep to the Son. John 17, real quickly, I'll read that for you. John 17, this is Jesus praying the night he was betrayed. He's with his disciples in the upper room. He starts in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you, what? Gave me out of the world. Do you see that? Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And what is the identifier there? And they have what? Kept your word. They didn't shrink back. They've kept your word. They follow. The Father sovereignly chose those out of the world to give to the Son, and now Jesus is praying for those 11 disciples. He's praying about the disciples here. But the cool thing is I got nervous because I'm like, he's talking about the disciples. What about me? And you go down a few verses and you find out, oh, and I also am praying for those who will believe because of them. Oh, that's me. Yay. Thank you, Lord. But here Jesus says that they were given to him by the Father out of the world and that identifying marker, they keep his word. The Father chose them. He gave them to the Son to give them eternal life and he has kept them and no one can change that. No one can do what God has undone. Do you know that about your salvation, the Lord? No one can take that. The Lord has done it. And yet there's that warning in Scripture isn't there? He just keeps that balance, that tension in Scripture that those who believe will persevere over and over and over in Scripture. So 
I don't know. The Lord knows how to keep us on the tightrope, doesn't he? Straight and narrow. And that is beautiful. And so to answer the Jews' original question, are you the Christ? Yes, absolutely. And the Father and I are one. And their response to all this was to stone him. Verse 22, let's just read these verses. Jesus answered, then I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Yes, he is. Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law that I, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, in other words, you guys all know the Bible, they called the judges gods there, lower, lowercase g, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blasphemed because I said I am the Son of God? So Jesus is referencing Psalm 82.6, by the way. And here God is rebuking Israel's judges in Psalm 82.6. And he's calling them gods, lowercase g, because they're like representatives of God. They're, lowercase, they're judging on his behalf. And he's rebuking them. And Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you didn't have a problem with them being called gods, why do you have a problem with the Son of God actually, who is God, being called God? That's his logic. I don't totally understand it, but that's it. And then verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, like, look at what I'm doing. Even though you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works, right? That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus, again, he's pleading with them. Look at what I'm doing. Read your Bibles, everybody. Look at what Jesus did. Those are real things that happened. Jesus raised people from the dead. He rose from the dead. He healed people. This is not pretend. These things really happened. He is the Son of God. He says, listen, I and the Father are one. But verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. That's John the Baptist at first. And there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. That the one coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And just the, the massive hand of God being revealed through Jesus Christ brought many people to believe in him there, verse 32 says. So the sheep and the goats, those who hear and follow and those who do not. Tough teachings, amen? I want to be very clear. We are not saved by works. We are saved by simple faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. But the proof of that salvation is that there's fruit that really happened. May we not be fooled, amen? Lord, we come to you. And we just ask, Lord, that our hearts would be uh, broken, Lord, over our own sinfulness, Lord, but also, Lord, the condition and the state of others we love. And uh, I just, I'm just praying, uh, God, that there'd be a quickening, a work of your Holy Spirit in my heart, in the heart of my family, in this church, God, that we would respond to you, that we would graciously hear your voice and follow you today, that we would not be those who shrink back, 
but we would be those who persevere in you. And I'm so thankful that at the end of it all, we find out that he who began a good work in you was faithful to complete it. That's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jude 1, obviously there's only one chapter in Jude. The benediction of Jude after he just unleashes some serious stuff. He says, verse 24, listen to this, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To the one who's able to keep you from stumbling to present you blameless. It's all Jesus, church. Walk after him this week in joy. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a good week.